The text this morning is really timely for an art celebration weekend um, because it's through the creative writing, the art uh, in the Bible, uh, the, the wisdom literature, the Psalms and the Proverbs, the songs, the poetry in which those of us who read can find great description, encouragement, connection with the realities of life. And it's not just the artists in the Bibles, it's the artist among us. And even this morning with Jerome and, and Kelly, you didn't give any of your art this morning, but you have given so much of it to us time and time again. There's something about the artist's ability to connect us to the reality of what it is to be human. And this morning we are in some scripture today that reminds us of both the difficulty of being human, but the great opportunity of hope through Jesus Christ. So would you stand for the reading of God's word? We'll be in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, just a few verses this morning that are loaded with meaning. Paul writes, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. I'm often surprised that we get so surprised. I'm often surprised that we get so surprised. How many conversations I have in a given month with friends, with, with many of you, as we sit and talk and you share this surprised feeling that comes over us when difficulty comes to us. This kind of shock that life is difficult, that suffering is coming, wait, to me? I'm surprised at how surprised we are sometimes. Because in those moments of surprise, what usually comes if we're really, really surprised is often this, um, this idea that it's not supposed to work out this way. It's not supposed to be like that. I mean... I, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church faithfully. I read the Bible faithfully. I do all the things that the pastors and the church leaders tell me to do. I do my devotional because there is a narrative that has been spun to you and to me that goes something like this. That if you're faithful enough, that if you're devout enough, that if you come to church regularly, that somehow suffering and difficulty should not exist in your life. It's a bit of a, a reward we get from God. I'm surprised in my own life that in those times of difficulty that somehow I believe that God has left me in those moments. I'm surprised that you feel that way too. That somehow in our times of difficulty and suffering, that we buy the lie that somehow says God isn't really true, 
For if he was, none of this would be going on or certainly wouldn't be going on for, for me. Romans 5.3, Paul starts out with a pretty big assumption. If you read it in verse 3, he says this, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Because we know. Brothers and sisters, let's admit together that we don't know. At least we don't know all the time. We don't live in the knowledge and the truth of knowing that suffering develops perseverance and that suffering is connected to the Christian life. We often find ourselves in moments of surprise when something hits us. In fact, just so to remind us that we're not unique in 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The temptation for you and I as Christians is to believe a lie, and the lie is that, that somehow we're supposed to be void of difficulty in our life. And the writer here says, don't be so surprised as if you're unique. We are in a series, our second week in a series called Being Made New, Made New. And the question I have for you this morning and for myself all week has, do you know, as Paul says, we know, do you know the relationship of being a Christian and suffering? And do you know that being made new involves suffering? Right? We want to be the kind of people who know. And we want to be the kind of people who know consistently but we need to be reminded, and that's our goal this morning, is to be reminded of the relationship between being a Christian and suffering and how this all works out. Now, I need to give a few kind of disclaimers. This is not a comprehensive message around suffering and God and in the Bible. There are very serious questions that we ought not be afraid of. Questions like, why does God allow suffering? Questions related to how is it that there are so many parts of this world and so many people groups in this world and even in our own community who live in a constant state of suffering and yet it seems like other people have very minimal suffering. There's a, another question of the difference between the suffering that we bring on ourselves through the choices of sin in our life and the suffering that just happens around us because of the state of sin in this world. These are really good questions, good things to process. And we're limited in this text to just talk about the process in which suffering works in our lives. Another reality before we jump in is that you and I have a tendency, because we are human, to want to quantify suffering. As human beings, we love to compete and compare with one another and, and eat, we even do this when it comes to suffering. And if we're honest, there are times where we sit with our friends or family members and we listen to them talk about the difficulty that's going on in their life and inside our brains and inside our hearts we go, really? That's hard? Well, I'd trade with you in a heartbeat. 
We love to try to quantify who has more pain, who has more suffering. And I will tell you that I actually think there are people and places with more pain when I think about my own life. The limitation of myself this morning, I'll just let you know, I wouldn't necessarily say at this particular season in the life of Jeff Matisich that I'm in some kind of season of suffering. The difficulties that are on our family and in my life are frankly more inconvenience than they are real suffering. Doesn't mean I haven't been in seasons of suffering, but as I think about the life of Jeff Matisich in light of this text, I am reminded that you and I, for the most part, had a very easy time getting to church this morning. And that we have brothers and sisters in our faith who have to be in disguise this morning to get to their church. We have brothers and sisters in our faith who are being killed today because of their faith in Jesus. And those realities in this conversation should move us, not guilt us. Because I want you to interact with this text the way it's been speaking to me this week, very personally and very globally. For some of you, your life right now is marked by suffering. You would describe the situation of your life as it's a little bit of living hell right now because everything around you is falling apart. Your marriage is falling apart or has fallen apart. Your kids aren't doing well. You have no job. It's tough. This morning, the word of God has a message for you. Some of you are not in a season of suffering. I heard somebody say this week, there'll be three kinds of people in this room. Those who are in a season of suffering, those who've just come out of one, or those who are about to start one. So some of you this morning, you get a great opportunity to not just look in the mirror, but to have the outward eyes of Jesus, to understand how this would move us as a community, to understand the suffering in this world and the suffering in community how we can live out these words externally. I believe the Holy Spirit can do all of that in this moment and can do that multiple ways to each one of you. Amen. So this morning, we want to be the people who know. We want to know the truth about suffering. And the truth about suffering is found right in verse 3. Where not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Paul is very careful to write in our sufferings. Notice that what he is not saying is not for our sufferings or because of our sufferings. The truth around suffering is that we find this glory connected inside the season of suffering. But we have some tendencies to read this a little bit differently. So let's, let's, let's clarify a little bit. What we do not read is that we need to be the kind of people who deny the suffering that is going on in our lives and the suffering that is going on in this world. That's a, a way of thinking called stoicism, and it goes something like this. As difficult as it might be, we're not going to let it get to us. We're going to be above it. We're going to keep a strong face. We're going to kind of ignore the pain of what is happening in our lives or around us. We're going to muscle through it. We're going to minimize it. We're going to deny the impact and the reality of the suffering that is going on. And friends, that is not what Paul is saying. 
Paul is talking about that we glory in our sufferings. He doesn't say we ignore our sufferings. We do not deny our sufferings. The Bible and the writers of the Bible and the people who live out the word of God don't deny their sufferings. The Bible is full of people who are expressing the difficulty of life. In the Psalms, the Lament Psalms, we have psalmists declaring to God, where are you right now? My world is falling apart. I have made a promise to you, God, and you are nowhere to be found. Jesus himself, before he was on that cross, the anguish in which he was in the garden, feeling what was about to happen, it wasn't a numb reality of denial. It was real pain, real suffering. In the book of Job, if you're familiar or not, in the very first chapter of Job, Job's life starts crumbling apart, literally falling apart. His property, his family, his land, all of his economy, everything gone, wiped out. And at the end of Job 1, we're 22 verses in. And by 22 verses in, Job has ripped his robe and shaved his head protesting what's going on in his life to God. And at the end of Job, we read, in all this, the ripping of the robe, the shaving of the head, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job felt the pain and expressed the pain. Brothers and sisters, in times of suffering, do not be the kind of people who minimize it. But the truth is, we as church people do this all the time. We do this when we sit with somebody who has risked sharing with us the difficulty of their life. And we do this by ignoring or giving them a Bible verse, giving them a Christian cliche that, with the idea that almost if they just say it three times and memorize the scripture, then all the pain will go away. And here's the thing, those Bible verses are true. And most of the time, the Christian cliches are true. But the intent with which we share it and the tone in which we share it, there can be that temptation to say, that really doesn't count. You're going to be fine. And we deny someone else's suffering all the time in the church. So suffering, we're not to deny it, to be finding glory in our sufferings, we also are not supposed to be rejoicing for them. That's masochism, the idea of loving pain, loving suffering. We, we do not see Paul write in, in Romans 5 that when a time of suffering comes into your life, you should have a party and celebrate. That's not what it means to find glory in suffering. But this too, also, this kind of philosophy of life, we, we do this as well as human beings. And it's the kind of person who loves being defined by the difficulty that's going on in their life. The kind of person who loves to be defined by, by the difficulty that's going on in this world. The person who always is kind of has, um, glass half empty. That was close. That was close. Glass half empty. These are the kind of people who, honestly, sometimes you can feel guilty around when you say, I'm doing okay, because you shouldn't be for some reason. I'll admit to you, even now, 
In the last six months, the great temptation when I'm with other pastors, not just at Lake, but friends, or with folks who, when they ask the question, how are you doing right now, that it's almost the wrong response to say, I'm doing okay. How can you be doing okay? I mean, the country's falling apart. And the world's falling apart. Yes, it is. And I'm so grateful that the Bible gives example after example of lament and expression, that in these times of suffering, we don't have to deny them. But friends, the lament in the Bible is a moment, is a season, it's not a lifestyle. But there is this temptation for the Christian to be one who kind of in an odd way rejoices when suffering comes. Romans itself, there is such great diversity to which whom Paul is writing. Jew and Gentile Christian, slave and free, male and female. This great diversity of church with all kinds of different expressions and experiences, both as they've been now thrust into church together across such difference, also to be a, this new movement of Jesus in, in, a, in a time and in a place that rejected it completely. The wide span of difficulty that was on this community and we don't see an overall theme throughout Romans of just celebrating because it's hard, but there's something different going on. The truth about suffering is this. Suffering is. It just is. Difficulty is. It just is. It has everything to do with where we've been the last many weeks as a church, that we live in a broken and fallen world and the perfection with which God created the world and created us to be in relationship with him and one another, that has been, that has been changed through sin. And as a result of sin, there is brokenness in this world. There is brokenness in our relationship with God. There is brokenness in our relationship with one another. There's brokenness in your relationship with your spouse. Brokenness. But what we say all the time and what the Bible declares over and over again is that we have a God who takes all the brokenness, all the conflict, and he makes something new. So the truth is that suffering is Jesus himself says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, take heart, I have overcome the world. In this life you will have no trouble. No, Jesus declares this reality that seems contradictory but actually is something very beautiful that yes, there is brokenness in this life and there is trouble in this life. There is suffering in this life. But we can take heart and have hope that we have a God that takes all of that and makes something new and beautiful out of it. That is the tension and the relationship between suffering and following Jesus. We can take heart because as true as suffering is, it is also true that our suffering is never wasted. Our suffering doesn't sit on the side, unintended, 
that when we find glory in our suffering, that we find a God who makes all things new and the process of being made new comes through suffering. So the second thing we want to know, not just what the truth of suffering is, the second thing is the process of being made new. And we see that very clearly in verses three and four, right? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. This process of growth. And we'll go through this in a moment, but, but to, to illustrate essentially the process of growth for living and to be able to, to live in this tension of brokenness and hope. There's this, uh, there's this um, progression Paul talks about, this progression from suffering to perseverance, perseverance to character and character to hope. And it's a progression that physically, in the physical sense, all of us, whether we do it or not, we understand. You and I understand that if we want to be healthy, if we want to accomplish something like running a marathon, or we want to get physically stronger, you and I know, intellectually, the way the body works is that we don't just make up our mind to be stronger, but we intentionally put our body in tension, in exercise. We, we lift weights. We run miles. We go through seasons of pain because through the pain, we will build endurance. And when we build endurance, then we'll be different at the end of it. And we will be able to accomplish the physical goals with which we set. We un intellectually understand that. That's why our great, our favorite athletes, we know in the off season that they're, they're physically putting their body through stress so that they can become stronger. But for some reason, as much as we can understand that intellectually about physical growth, when it comes to spiritual growth and the growth and strength to endure and to live life faithfully, we somehow think we can get there without difficulty. And what Paul is laying out in this process of becoming made new is the same kind of process that an athlete takes to get stronger. And the first, the first part of the process is this suffering to perseverance. This idea that in our time of suffering, if we stay with it, if we don't run away from it, if we don't minimize it, we don't need to celebrate it, but the process becomes when the difficult time comes, when the suffering comes into our life, that that suffering will lead us to a time of endurance. I mean, the words in which Paul is writing to Romans and this idea of your suffering will lead you to perseverance is really powerful because just a few years later, maybe 10, 15 years later, I think it's A.D. 67, if you know your Roman history, you know that Nero would begin the first persecution of Christians and that he would literally light Rome on fire that he would literally take the same Christians that Paul is writing to in Romans, dip their whole bodies in wax, tie them to a tree, and light them on fire. So there's nothing cliche here about what Paul is saying when he says your suffering will lead to perseverance. He's writing to a community where the suffering wasn't, I got pulled over on the freeway and got a ticket. It's real suffering. So these words of building endurance, 
That by sticking in the season of suffering, sticking with God in the seasons of suffering, leaning into what that is, not running away from it, not running away from God, not running away from the suffering itself, that we will become able to endure and to have endurance. The second process after endurance is this perseverance to character. We'll call that enrichment. The idea of this is that when we stick with our season of suffering, we build endurance, and that at the end, this character that has been built, this, the person we are through it has been enriched, that we have been proven, that we've been tested a little bit, that we are a new person, more than who we were prior to the suffering, that the endurance we have gone through has brought about a real change in our lives and our ability to be different than before is incredible. In fact, our very character changes. Now, I'll share with you a, a great fear I have uh, for me as a parent and the fear I have for all of you as parents. Because I look back at my life and there was a fair amount, at least for a kid, between the ages of zero to 18 years old, there were a few seasons of real difficulty in my life. I've shared those with you. It's how I became a Christian. There were things I was very excited about, everything from a father to football that were gone. And because I went through those times of suffering, I can give testimony to say, yeah, that suffering turned to perseverance that perseverance turned to character. And I am who I am because of that. Now here's my fear. I'm a parent now. And I feel like the guiding philosophy that we can buy in as parents right now is that we will have done a faithful job with our kids if we can get them to 18 years old without any pain or suffering in their life. <laughs> that what it means to be a Christian parent is to protect our children from the difficulty of life. We don't want to damage them. So if something ha hard happens to them at school, we want to justify it. We want to go fight for them. We want to put a Band-Aid on it right away. And I'm telling you, I'm just admitting to you, I'm not quite sure how we build character in our kids by guarding them from the difficulty of life. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to set up some traps some, around our house <laughs> to put them in pain. But you know, what it, you know what it does mean? It means as redundant as it may be, we're going to remind our kids every time we remember when we get off that freeway and there's a human being standing there that we're going to talk about that and we're going to pray for that person. We're not going to ignore them. We're not going to kind of turn the music up and start a conversation hoping they don't see the difficult things in this world. Friends, we cannot build godly character in the next generation by protecting them from suffering. Suffering leads to perseverance, perseverance to character. And it's not just parents, it's the whole culture. We spend so much money and time trying to protect ourselves from difficulty as if that is the goal. So perseverance to character, this enrichment, and how do we know we're enriched? Is our character turning to hope? Are we gaining a certainty? Are we gaining a confidence that comes from being on the other side of suffering? 
Are we expanding? Is there expansion happening? Do we have more capacity to feel? Do we have more capacity to hope? Do we have more capacity to trust? Do we have more capacity to endure not just the suffering in our lives, but the suffering of others, the suffering of this world? I'll admit to you that there, we're, our, our overall church narrative as followers of Jesus isn't one of expansion all the times. It's one of shrinkage. That the more we follow Jesus, it's almost like our hearts and our minds can get smaller. And I'm not quite sure how character moving to hope, getting the confidence that yes, there is difficulty in this world, but in the hope we have this confidence that God doesn't waste it and we can gain a certainty should expand our hearts. So the truth of suffering, the process of being made new through suffering, and a little bit more Paul, uh, Paul gives us with the confidence that we can have in suffering found in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, you and I can have times of a lack of confidence, a lack of knowledge. We don't really know, as Paul says, we should know because frankly, we have made God into how we would do God. And I'll just admit to you, if I was God, I probably would take suffering off the table. But because we think he should do it as we do it, there are times where we don't have the confidence. And so we get surprised. We feel like God has left us because we forget that we have a God who doesn't just have us sit in suffering outside of himself. That we have a God who understands the relationship between suffering and glory. If you get bored this week, just look throughout the Bible, do a search of how many times in the New Testament the word suffering and glory are connected. Jesus, on his own road to glory, went through suffering. So what's the confidence that you and I can have in times where we have no confidence, where we have little hope? Well, we stick with it. We gain our endurance. We become enriched. We're expanding. We have a confidence because we have a God who knows suffering and who uses suffering. We have a God who has endured this road, a confidence that we were, when we are in a time of suffering, we are not alone. It says in verse 5 that God's love has been poured out, given us the Holy Spirit. And friends, that means that you and I in our lowest of moments, in the most difficult of moments, in the, in the most suffering of moments... As much as you feel alone and unique, you are not. The living God, for those who follow Jesus, has been poured out into your heart, poured out into your life, and you can have a confidence at those times that the living God indwells you, lives in you, and that you are not alone. Even though it feels like you're not. The living God... Our own statement of faith says this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So the confidence that you can have as a follower of Jesus is that in times of suffering, 
The living God illuminates your life, guides your life, equips your life, empowers your life to live this life. And not only as individuals, but as a community as well. Because the Spirit lives in us and among us. That's why we do church. One of the greatest tragedies of the church is how terrible we can be in dealing with one another's suffering. So why are we so surprised? Why is it possible, and can we all give testimony to our friends who we have been in worship with, who we've been in small group with, who we've been in adult class with, that all of a sudden we find out everything's falling apart in their life and their marriage, but they never said anything because of the shame, because of the the fear that if they brought that up, that somehow they will be judged. Somehow, instead of being a community of acknowledging the suffering with one another, we can so easily become a community that fears judgment from one another. And friends, we get a confidence, not just when the Holy Spirit lives among us as individuals, but the confidence that comes from the community of God really living out the faith of God together. May it be true for us that we are never alone that we are never unique, that we are never the odd one at Lake Avenue Church who's going through something hard, and we can with confidence bring that to this place, knowing that we can walk through that. That is so much easier to say from here than it is for some of you to believe and to live out. But I trust this church that we can be the kind of people. So this morning... Some of you are in a time of great suffering. And my hope for you this morning is that you can build your endurance. And I want you to know this, that you can endure in Christ. That as difficult as it is right now, and I know what I'm saying. I know what's going on in the lives of this community. There's real, real pain. There's real, real difficulty here. And I believe with all of my heart and all of my mind that you can endure. The temptation will be to turn away from God, turn away from one another, to become sour, to become bitter, to walk away from all of this. I've just never seen that really work out for someone. It's not like they become a happier person. They just keep living in that bitterness and sourness. There's a confidence with which we can take Paul's words because Paul is not offering just words that have no meaning for his own life. So when I say you can endure, listen to what Paul endured. It comes from 2 Corinthians, at a time where Paul's been accused of not really being all in for the church. So it comes off a little braggadocious. But the man who is saying that suffering leads to perseverance is a man who lived a life where he says this. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind for telling you this, but I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. 
I have labored and toiled. I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Friends, Paul has a credibility of endurance. One of those things would knock most of us out. No matter how bad it is for you, and it is bad, you can endure in Christ. And if you have moments of doubt, read Paul. Think about our brothers and sisters across this globe who are facing death to do what we're doing now. We have the luxury of waking up and going, we're going to go to church and what are we going to have for lunch? Our brothers and sisters give us courage to say that as bad as it is, we can endure. For some of you, maybe not in a season of suffering, my question for you is, are you being enriched? Are you becoming stronger through Christ? And you know this, as followers of Jesus, all of us should be becoming stronger. Are you growing? What is new about God to you? What in the Bible is waking you up afresh, anew? What is the fresh thing that God is doing in your life? And if you have no new answer for that, brothers and sisters, I encourage all of us to wake up. There are way too many of us who have the same answers to those questions that we've had for 30 years. And we're not growing. We're really good at being religious and regimented. We're really good at showing up to the things we're supposed to show up at. But you and I are called to be the kind of people who move from perseverance to character. How is your character being developed? How are you being enriched? And for those of us where it's the same old answers, the same old ingredients, may God wake us up. How do we know that we're being enriched? Comes to the last question. Is your heart expanding? Is your mind expanding? You know, as followers of Jesus, we should be becoming more and more and more and more and more with Christ. Is your heart growing? Or is it shrinking? Is your hope growing? Are you able to hold in tension the reality that suffering and difficulty is so painful and so real in one hand, and yet the hope of Christ is so true in the other hand? So we feel the pain over here, but we know the hope here, and we're able to live in that tension in our own lives, and more importantly at times, with one another. Are you expanding? Tim Keller says, uh, one of the ways you know if you're really growing in your faith is are you crying more? And I think, I think he's right. And before you write me about your Myers-Briggs personality test, <laughs> right, the point is this. Are the things that break the heart of God breaking your heart more and more? Amen. And I'll admit to you, there are times where I feel like not only is our heart not growing, but we're, we're more interested in denying other people's sufferings than feeling their sufferings. And for the Christian, we should be expanding and growing. It's truly a discipleship question. 
your ability to both see and feel the pain and real suffering in this world, and in knowing that there is great hope found in Jesus. This is the question of discipleship this morning, which means for some of us, it's time to get back on track with Jesus because your heart feels a little bit numb right now. Your ability to feel, maybe you've bought into the stoicism. Maybe you've become hardened. And maybe it's time to open up your heart again. Or maybe you're just so self-absorbed with your own pain that your whole world is just essentially looking at a mirror and the pain around you. It's almost like another language you don't speak. But for some of you, you are living in an incredibly difficult time right now. And when I say this, I mean it from all of my heart. Hold on to Jesus. He has poured out his spirit to you. You can endure. You can make it through this. You can find hope that is on the other side. Remember that our Lord Jesus Christ himself knows suffering for himself. And he will walk with you until the glory is revealed. Romans 8.18, just a little bit later, Paul will say that he considers that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So hold on, friends. I want to close with having you think about someone you know. I'm sure you can pull someone up. Who are some, who's someone in your life who's, been on, who's made it through the other side of this? Who's someone you know who's really lived through some difficulty, through some hardship, and has come out on the other side? There's so many of you in this church, so many of you. When I think about the person I'm thinking about, you know what stands out to me? Is when you're with somebody who's been through this, who's persevered, who's had their character developed, who has a hope and a confidence, not in a simplistic, here's a little Bible verse kind of way, in a real genuine way, aren't those people just so attractive? The faith of those people is just so genuine and real. The grace that someone who's made it through the other side of suffering lives their life, the grace with which they interact with people, the steadiness and the patience of someone who's made it through the other side, not the kind of person that just emotionally reacts to stuff, just a steadiness, a grace, frankly, the poise of a disciple, the poise of someone who understands intimately the glory that is revealed in suffering. What tends to follow when you talk to these kind of people, not just the poise, the patience, the grace, the faith, but the reflection that they have where they say, as hard as those seasons were, and there was real cost to those seasons, if I could go back and change it, I would not. Maybe I'd change a few things about it, but the essence of who I am on the other side has made me who I am. May that be all of us. On this arts weekend, I thought I would close the sermon by sharing some poetry, a, a part of a lyric from one of my favorite artists, um, 
Jordan Fry, who is in the band Urban Rescue, who will be with us again in April. He's got a song called Out of the Ashes. And let me read part of it, and then we'll close in a song. My heart was a burial ground, broken under the surface with no light to be found. But you pulled me out of the grave like a desolate treasure, and you called me by my name. Up from the ashes, God, you are making something beautiful, for you have won my heart. No longer ruined, I have been ransomed by your jealous love, for you have won my heart. Lake Avenue Church, this morning, up from the ashes, God is making something beautiful. He is taking the suffering and the pain that the sin-filled world causes in your life and the lives around us, and he is making all things new. He will not waste your life. He will not waste the suffering that has come to you that he is making in you a disciple of Jesus to bring hope to a world. May it be true for us as a church. Amen.